0: Good afternoon, everybody. As if taxing wasn't stressful enough, we're having to try and use a new system now. So hopefully um, you've all made it over from Crowdcast. Um, this is our plan B. All good planners have a plan B um, because plan A let us down uh, quite a bit. But uh, here we go. We're, we're running live and I can see plenty of you in the chat room already, um, which is great. Um, so hopefully this is all going to go well. So deep breath and away we go. So welcome to... Um, Another PowerPanel's Assembly online event. Um, great to have you along. Um, these are very relaxed normally um, sessions, although we're a bit stressed over here, to uh, say the least. But this is your chance to actually listen to an expert, join in, ask questions, you know, share answers, all those kind of things. And I'll keep an eye on questions in the chat room as we go, uh, and I'll pop those up with Les uh, as we get to the right kind of stage. Um, I can see you all in the chat room there, but let's just test it. Also. On a scale of one to 10, where one is I'm chilled out and 10, there just isn't enough chocolate. How stressful is tax your end for you at the moment? Um, pop your scale of one to 10 in the chat room there so we can make sure that it's working okay. Uh, I'm definitely at the 10 at the moment, um, and I have not got enough chocolate, um, so we'll see how that goes. Um, This is recorded, and we'll make a replay available uh, afterwards, so you can watch it again on our website. And we've also started producing a podcast um, for each of our online assemblers, so you can download and listen to the content. Obviously, you can't see it, but you can listen to it if you want to as well couple of housekeeping notices. Um, next Wednesday, that's the 1st of March at one o'clock, we've got our next online assembly, and that's a timely dip into exam techniques and revision tips. And we've got some great content for that one. So if you're in the middle of studying for an exam or you're thinking about getting back into it again, that's for you. Uh, and I'll see if we can pop a link in the chat room here to our website where you can go and sign up for that one. And we've still got a few spaces left for our personal development power-ups for power planners a the keys there on the 12th of May. So we'll pop a link in the chat room as well for that one. You can go and sign up for that one if you want to. So on to today. Um, for the last few years, M and G Wealth have worked with the Assembly to put together a series of events designed just for us PowerPlanners. And it's a big thanks to them for their continued support of the PowerPlanners Assembly. Um, it's great to have them back again in 2023 and this is the first of five events that's coming your way. So thank you to everyone that completed our topic survey. It really helps us to make sure we deliver what you want us to deliver. And right at the top of the list was all things kind of tax related, Um, so after the autumn statement last year, it's a great time to start thinking about different tax wrappers we use uh, and should we start to do things differently or should we have done things differently in the past? Anyway, um, this is clearly something lots of you are interested in because more than 500 people have signed up for this and hopefully most of you made it over here from Crowdcast. Uh, if not, you're probably watching in the future on the replay, so hello and sorry about the issues. Uh, I'm- Really pleased to have along a man who knows more about this than I do and most people. uh, In fact, he knows more about most topics than most people. So, Les, for those that don't know you, could you please introduce yourself?
1: Thanks, Richard. Thanks for having me again. Uh, Yeah, I'm Les Cameron. I'm the head of technical at M&G Wealth. Uh, My my team's specifically responsible for all the technical support that M&G Wealth gives out to advisors, whether that's um, technical content on the website or... Tip top tax tools you can get in the website or out speaking uh, to people at seminars uh, just like this on all things tax, trust, and pension. So uh, that's what we're doing. And our Paraplanner audience is our favourite audience. So I'm glad to be here.
0: That's it. Speak to your audience there, Les. That's really good. Um, mm. And this is the first time you've been on here when you've been in the office because normally we've got colour coordinated walls in our offices, haven't we? So um, you're, you're yes. actually in the energy yes. so office. Mm-hmm. And lots of um, range in the um, kind of stressed out. There's, there's a 15 in there, Tony. I can fill that with you. Becky yeah. wins by posting all of the chocolate emojis. So, um, mm-hmm. so that's brilliant. So, I, I, do have a, I do have
1: a wee smiley. Ah. There Ooh, must have been that? some form of team building event in the office before me, because that wasn't me. i <laughs> have thought about it. I'd have done it.
0: Yeah. yeah, he should have done. <laughs> um, right. Les has done some slides for us because there's quite a lot to cover here. Uh, we may not get into the detail of all of it, but we'll make these available for you um, afterwards. Um, so we'll pop a link towards the end of the session to the MG Wealth, Wealth website where you can download the slides. You can get links to lots of other resources. Um, Les and his team have made available and you can also get one hour's CPD as well. So let me bring the slides up on the screen um, and Les, I'll hand over to you. Away you go.
1: OK, so you're moving slides for me, are you? I'll yeah. do
0: that for you. You can just sit back and talk.
1: Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we're here to talk about uh, direct investors. Um, post the autumn statement, nobody has wanted to talk about anything other than insurance bonds are back, um, CGT is horrible, dividend tax is going to go up, et cetera, et cetera. So have a look at the income tax and capital gains tax treatment of investments held directly. And, and then sort of evaluate the benefit of having it in an insurance bond wrapper. Because remember, an insurance bond wrapper is just a tax wrapper, the same as an ISA or a SIP or an offshore bond for that matter. So we're kind of delving into the tax, uh, just in the tax wrapper uh, on a bond basis, so if you move on. Uh, I'll, I'll go through this bit quite quickly because I think it's, it should be relatively well known and get to the juicy stuff. So the tax landscape, we're talking about investment income here today. We're talking about savings interest. We're talking about capital gains. So broadly, um, Scotland and Cardiff having their own taxpayers is irrelevant because they can only play about with non-dividend, non-savings income. So everything we're going to talk about today is governed from London. Um, sort of thing the only impact investments have on on sort of scottish resident taxpayers i think is if any of your savings income your investment income actually makes you start to lose personal allowance because we pay higher rates of tax in scotland that would obviously have a a higher knock-on impact on us you're losing your personal allowance so that's the sort of devolved taxation side of it the next is the tax landscape i think you're probably all fairly familiar there we go a glamorous assistant the yeah I mean the tax bans have been frozen we know this that was a couple of uh, statements ago um the dividend tax has increased by 1.25 percent that was in out and out shake it all about but it is in and staying in um sort of thing I suppose that that the big thing from the autumn statement other than the, the allowance changes is additional rate tax is going to start at 125, 140 instead of £150,000 so that's where we are sort of tax wise there's more people paying more tax I think they're going to estimate at least three million more people will be paying tax at higher or additional rate and because of the sort of combination of all the changes lots more tax returns uh, in the future um, for the revenue to deal with so if, if we can move on again Richard. So the two key big ones, you see up there at the top. uh, This is basically all the tax-free allowances that is available in the UK tax system. Uh, Personal allowance is available for interest, dividends and bond gains. Frozen, obviously, can be lost if your income is over 100000 The personal savings allowance and the starting rate for savings, um, that's been unaffected. That's staying where it is. Uh, I suppose the one thing I would say about the personal savings allowance is you lose it when you become an additional rate taxpayer. So all those people between 125 and 150 will have a little more savings tax to pay next year um, because they'll no longer have a personal savings allowance. But they're kind of the big ones and the ones that's caused all the discussion. is capital gains taxes going down to six, then going down to three, uh, and the dividend tax going down to 1, then going down to 500. I suppose you could say the 500 for dividend tax and the 500 personal savings allowance is kind of broadly the same for most people. Because uh, not obviously not everybody's got their starting rate for savings. So basically what's happened, um, we're down to a quarter of what it was before. So by definition, all things being equal, the size of portfolio you need to touch the tax system is going to reduce by 75%. Um, sort of thing, whereas a 2% dividend yield you could carry in a £100,000 fund in future uh, a 2% dividend yield you could only carry a £25,000 fund uh, before you went over the £500 and touched the tax system and I think that At its heart, at its most high level and simple, far more people with much lower portfolios are going to touch the tax system. And when you touch the tax system, you should decide if any tax planning will deliver a higher net return, which in most cases, or in quite a lot of cases, it will. Uh, Sort of going forward. So if we go forward. Yeah, I've mentioned both of these things here. It's just in in the context of um, dividends uh, and interest, even things that are taxed at zero are taxable income. Uh, There's a difference between tax-exempt money and and income that's taxed at zero. Obviously, dividends and savings interest is taxed at zero. Um, The adjusted net income, if your dividends or your interest is in the child benefit trap or it's in the, the high earner trap, You might not actually pay any tax on your dividends, but you might lose some personal allowance or you might have to pay a child benefit tax charge. So there is knock on impacts of having investment income, even investment income um, that's taxed at zero, um, so to speak. And the one thing to point out uh, is that it's the full amount of bond gains that gets put into your tax calculation. You don't put a slice in your tax calculation. You only put a slice in top slicing sums which is a, an entirely other session for another day, so we better move on.
0: With that additional rate allowance come, or band coming down to 125, 140, does that mean we're going to say see effective rates of tax relief on personal pension contributions go above 60% in that kind of window
1: there? Hey, well, you're you're at 60% between 100 and 120,000. No, it should come down again, because the if you're an additional rate taxpayer, you get 45% relief. So, so you're beginning through 60 and then 45. Um, flinging numbers in the tax relief model will tell you what it is. I don't think it'll go above 60. It'll peak at 60, then come down again. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, this is my favourite slide. I can talk for about seven hours on this slide alone. Uh, it was basically back in the day when I got taught about financial planning and tax and all these sorts of things. Uh, the person at the time said, look, Les, there's, there's only three things you need to know. What's the tax position putting your money in the investment? What's the tax position whilst you're holding the investment? And what's the tax position when you take it out? You will then be able to identify what's going to give you the highest net return at the end of the day. Uh, So I suppose at the top and the bottom, we've got pensions and ISAs. Those are the no-brainers. Those should become more popular. More people paying more tax at higher rates means more people will benefit from having their money in an ISA. Um, or a pension, but some people don't have pension allowances, they use their ISA allowance anyway, they've got larger portfolios to invest and you have to think to yourself um, will I have an OIC, or will I have an OIC inside a bond um, sort of thing. Um, Obviously OIC, onshore and offshore, you don't get any tax relief going into them, so that sort of entry part um, is largely irrelevant, it's what's happening during the journey, and what's happening in the way out that's going to dictate um, what's happening is your ROIC journey is more likely to be taxed than untaxed than it was before because of the changes in the autumn statement. Everything else um, is broadly the same.
0: Yes, quick question for you. Um, can you just uh, explain what the T and the E uh, mean in each of these, please?
1: OK, um, T just means tax and E means exempt from tax. So um, if you take the pension as an example, uh, E is exempt or relief on the way in. Uh, e is no tax on any of your investment income or gains, etc. That's got a big T because three quarters of your pension withdrawal goes into the, the tax system. And obviously it's got a wee E because 25% tax exempt sort of thing. So it's basically taxed uh, or exempt. Uh, you will almost certainly pay tax inside an onshore bond during your journey. You may or may not pay tax on your collectives during your journey sort of thing. That's the kind of, well, what I'm getting to. Does that make sense? Yeah, Yeah. perfect. Thank you very much. Uh, So bond tax, fundamentally, this is what you have to understand if you want to understand what the benefits of an insurance bond wrapper is, an onshore wrapper. The autumn statement has changed CGT, But you do not get a CGT advantage by putting your collectives inside an onshore bond. It can only ever be worse or equal at best. CGT advantages, you don't get them in an onshore bond. You you won't save CGT by being in an onshore bond. All the benefit of your onshore bond wrapper is driven by how income is treated inside an onshore bond. Offshore, we'll put to the side, because that's just you don't pay any tax. Um, Onshore, dividends don't get taxed, interest gets taxed at 20% and gains get taxed up to 20%. And then there's, there's, there's some things you can do with expenses and spreading your gains over seven years and all this sort of things in the corporation tax world. But broadly speaking, um, I think uh, sort of, for someone to understand what's going on sort of level, dividends get taxed at zero and everything else gets taxed at 20% sort of thing so if we move on so, so I've got an example here just put a hundred thousand pounds in my onshore bond I've had a six percent overall return uh, three thousand pounds of that's dividend a thousand pounds of its interest and two thousand pounds is growth uh, no tax on my dividends 20% on my interest which is 200 pounds 20% on my growth so overall I've had a year in my bond I've paid tax of 600 pounds My growth was £6,000, so I've paid 10% tax um, sort of thing. And essentially, that's what's driving the tax benefits of your onshore bond. Basic rate tax on income and no tax on dividends sort of thing. So that's 10% there. If we move on, um, it could be zero. If you put £100,000 in an onshore bond, an OIC, and an offshore bond, and all you got was a dividend yield, you would all get the same gross return. If it was £10,000 a dividend, you'd end up with £110,000 in all three. Only problem being is if you were in your OIC, you'd have paid tax on your dividends. If you're in your bonds, you haven't, sort of thing. So if all your return is dividend, you don't pay tax in an onshore bond. And if the other side, if none of your return is dividend, you'll pay 20% tax. In practice, it was slightly less than 20% tax sort of thing. So you'd have to start to think to yourself now if I'm getting a sub 20% internal rate of tax inside an onshore bond if I wasn't inside an onshore bond would my tax be higher than whatever my internal rate of tax is in the bond and when the answer to that question is yes there is a tax argument for being inside your onshore bond yeah okay Uh, as I said before Obviously, you get a very benign treatment inside the bond. You need to get your money out. Um, You'll get a 20% tax credit regardless of how much tax you paid inside your your onshore bonds. So if all your gain's in the basic rate tax band, no further tax to pay. Um, If your gain takes you up into the higher rates, um, but your slice is all in the basic rate tax band, well, you've got top slicing relief. You might not pay any higher rate tax at all. Uh, And then... bond gains are savings income. So if you can fit your gains in your savings allowances and your personal allowance, um, you can get sort of tax-free withdrawals there. So a relatively benign tax journey inside the wrapper. And if the three of these apply, or two of the three of these apply, you'll get out the wrapper without any further tax to pay. um, Sort of thing. Yeah, so that's bonds. OICs. Um, OICs are broadly tax-free inside them. Uh, because everything uh, flows through to the investor. The person that holds the OIC pays the tax. Uh, So no tax on dividends, no tax on interest um, sort of thing, Um, and no tax on gains. The only tax you can suffer in an OIC that the company has to pay is the tax on interest received if you've got an equity OIC if there's any interest in a multi-asset OIC that delivers dividends, uh, you might pay a little bit of tax on the interest there. So kind of um, interest in an equity OIC gets taxed the same as interest in a bond, uh, so to speak. And and fundamentally, as I've been saying, it's it's all about the income. Uh, OICs have to produce income. Bonds don't produce income. Bonds produce withdrawals. If you've got a bond... You have to think about tax when you take money out. If you have an OIC, you have to think about tax every single year, assuming it makes a distribution um, sort of thing. Yeah, I'm going to digress a little, uh, just for the benefits of bonds in general. Um, When you're passing on bonds, whether it's your spouse, civil partner, trust, uh, there's no chargeable event, a gift assignment uh, not triggering a tax liability or a tax event as an advantage of holding your collectives inside a bond. If you held collectives outside a bond, if you want to gift them to someone else, um, you'll trigger a gain unless it's your spouse. Um, certain types of trusts, uh, you can pass the gain onto the trust. But given trusts, I've got half the annual exempt amount of individuals. I don't know why you would want to pass your accumulated gains to the trust um, sort of thing. And then on death, currently, um, oik gains die with you. Um, on death and a bond, it depends how it gets set up, uh, whether it will end or not. Uh, my, my top bet for the autumn statement was actually that that CGT uplift on death would get removed for OICs, because I think that's far too generous. Why, why should you get to gather a million pounds worth of profit and then you die and that profit disappears from the tax system sort of thing? If you pass it to your spouse, it's also tax exempt for IHT. I thought that was the one. That was one thing that they would go in capital gains. But then we've got a budget next month. Who knows? They might be saving it for a double header. Mm, big reveal. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, just for the avoidance of doubt, um, I'm sure all of you have got advisors who have uh, recommended accumulation units um, for their oik holdings because they want to target capital gains and they don't want their clients to have any income tax issues. Obviously, that's nonsense. Um, It doesn't matter whether you've got accumulation units or income units. The income hits the tax system every year. It's just obviously with accumulation units, you don't see the income in the sort of bank account. For the avoidance of doubt, I've found far too many people who think accumulation units use up your capital gains tax allowance and income units use up your dividend allowance. That's obviously nonsense of the highest order. So CGT, uh, quite complicated. Um, We're delving into section 104 holdings now. Uh, Basically, how do you calculate a gain on a CGT portfolio? Um, Especially if you've been buying the units at different times. Uh, You could be buying at regular premiums. Um, You could have a portfolio you're rebalancing, so you could be buying units in the same fund on and off over the years sort of thing. Keep it relatively simple here. So... Ten thousand shares were bought at two pounds fifty. A further five thousand were bought at four pounds. We know the share price is now five pounds five pence. Sarah sells six thousand shares. What is the gain? So if we go, uh, are we going to ask them? No.
0: I think if anyone yeah can get a bar of chocolate on us, if they can pop the answer in the chat room, but um, well, and going
1: can add it to the list of people that are allowed to work for me if they also get it and the <laughs> amount of time. There's an honour. Um, yeah. <laughs> the, um, ah, so basically you take your proceeds at a high level. What did you sell them for? Take off what you bought them for, and that gives you your gain or your loss. You, you can adjust your sale proceeds based on your sale costs. You can adjust your purchase proceeds based on your purchase costs. The, the tricky bit is working out your acquisition cost, because you we now have to move into the world of the share pool. You basically have to run everything based on your average purchase price. So if we crack on, that's the share pool rules, if you want to read them. We can crack on again. Yeah, so here we go. Um, We had £15,000 of shares and we bought them um, for a sum total of £45,000, which means um, the average share price was £3. So that's what we need to use for our acquisition cost. We know our selling Price is £5.5. Five, so essentially, it's £2.5 per share, which is your profit um, sort of thing. So, uh, by spectacular coincidence, um, we have a gain here that's £12,300. Your work isn't finished. You've got something else to do, which is update your pool. Um, you did have 15,000 shares at £3. Uh, you've sold 6,000 of them. So you've now got 9,000 shares at £3. And if you go and buy more shares of that holding, you'll have to update your average price again. So you need to keep your share pool um, up to date um, sort of thing. So we've done that. We've generated the 12,300 as requested. Sorry, a 12,300 gain Let's say they said, I want to use my full annual exempt amount this year. How many of my oiks do I need to sell? And we said, 6,000 will do the trick for you. And then they they take the, the wind out your sails by saying, oh, I forgot to mention, I inherited 30,000 pounds of oil shares from my dad. And I, I'm kind of environmentally aware. So I sold them uh, and got 25,000. So I've made a 5,000 pounds loss. So how much annual exempt amount is used now. You don't get to join the list if you get this one right. No, nope, I was going to ask them. There we go. Basically, the learning point is you don't take your annual exempt amount from your gains for the tax year. You take your annual exempt amount from your adjusted gains. Um, when you get gains and losses in the same tax year, you have to offset your losses against your gains before you look to your annual exempt amount. Uh, so, in this case, uh, we only used 7,300 of annual exempt amount. Uh, you can also bring losses forward um, if you haven't used them in previous years. Um, if you make a loss in a tax year, um, you can claim loss relief. You have to do it in your tax return. You have to do it within four years of the year the loss um, created. Um, so, sort I of think I suppose the key point is if you have got gains and losses in a tax year, and somebody says, uh, I want to surrender as much as possible from my portfolio without triggering a CGT liability. Remember to add in your losses, get to your offset profit before you look to generate twelve thousand three hundred pounds of gain, um, sort of thing. So in this case, it was seven thousand three
0: hundred. We did have a question about the process for. Um claiming losses in the four-year rule, which I think you've answered quite well there. But there was a sub-question that came in as well saying, what if you don't currently do self-assessment? Do you have to start doing it so you can register the losses or is there another way of doing it?
1: I I think you can just write and claim if you're not in the self-assessment system. I don't know who the tax office is you need to write to. I think it's like most things. There's a statutory trigger point where you must self-assess, but that doesn't mean you haven't got a tax thing to do. And I think in general, you can do that by corresponding with the revenue without uh, doing the self-assessment sort of thing. Okay,
0: well, as we touched on that, we had another question come in that says, what are the de minimis limits for reporting gains and in investment income before self-assessment is needed?
1: Oh, right, okay. Um, the For selling an holding, um, you're required to self-assess if your sale proceeds are more than four times the annual exempt amount. So if you sell 49,200 pounds of shares this year and don't trigger a gain, trigger a loss, have a gain within the annual exempt amount, whether you get tax to pay or not, you're required to self-assess sort of thing. If you've got dividend income in excess of 10,000 pounds, you're required to self-assess. If you've got savings income in excess of 10,000 pounds, you're required to self-assess whether you've got a tax liability or not. Now on the website, we've actually got a video saying who needs to self-assess and it just takes you through all the scenarios there's also a self-assessment checker on the revenue website you can basically go in and it's, it's a, basically a wee tool that says do i need to self-assess and you just say yes yes no no yes yes no and at the end it tells you whether you're, whether you're required to self-assess or not so that's quite useful okay. um, as well but you need to self-assess sometimes even though you haven't got a tax
0: liability I'll just squeeze one more question in while we can. Um, If I can just find it. Hang on a second. Um, No, that's gone. I'll find it later on and come back to it a bit later on. So um, I'll hand back to you.
1: Cool. Yeah, Yeah, so so we now have £70,000. What next? Next we think about bed and breakfast. So four options, really, I think. Um, I'm to move on. Sorry. Gonna have a stiff neck at this rate. There we go. The yeah, so four things. Um, after thirty days, you can repurchase. There's obviously the bed and breakfast rules. You can't buy identical holdings back within thirty days. If you do, they just treat it as if you'd never sold them, respectively. So you've still got your gain you thought you'd get rid of. So be out of the market for thirty days and buy back. Um, buy shares in a different fund. I suppose you could. You could sell your. Sell your LNG FTSE tracker and buy your HSBC FTSE tracker, sorry, the next day. Um, you could purchase identical shares, but give the money to your spouse or civil partner first, I guess. Or my favourite is repurchasing within a tax wrapper, that sort of thing. So, tax your end, this should be getting done all the time. You should at least be selling down your portfolio to fund your ISA. I think you should at least be funding your ISA and max funding your pension as well. But that's just me. I'm a bit of a pension person at heart. I like 125% allocation and cash back if you're a higher rate taxpayer. I I've think...
0: got some more questions for you. I found my question, which I'll come back to in a second. Right. But on, on this particular one, is not in-specie transfer from a GIA to an ISA a chargeable disposal for CGT?
1: Yes, it is. It's a disposal. Yeah.
0: Excellent. Um, And what should we do if we have no evidence of the base cost of the shares in the NOIC that we bought?
1: Invent a time machine. Go back and make sure you capture it. Or you would have to submit an estimate and hope the revenue go with it. Okay
0: Um, sort of thing. If they don't go with that or
1: you can't find anything. uh, I think they're at the mercy of the revenue. (laughs) They'll say, okay, we think your gain is X. I know you think it's Y, but we're saying it's X. Give us more money.
0: Yeah. Okay. Brilliant. And there's some good links and tips in the chat room about um, revenue tools. So thanks for posting those.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So got all this tax background, CGT background. Pause for thought. Things you do as standard before the autumn statement require you to think about it. I think the one thing you don't need to think about is investment comes first. You pick your investment and then you decide what tax wrapper you want your investment in. Obviously, if your investment's only available in a tax wrapper, you don't need to have a think about whether I should be inside a wrapper or not. Or it's just what wrapper am I having that investment in? Obviously, I'm talking about smooth funds, funds with guarantees, stuff like that. You're just not allowed to have them. As I know, you would need to be in a tax wrapper. If you want them, but let's just assume uh, the investment you want is available outside the wrapper and inside the wrapper, because we're in a world of open architecture, basically, you can have any kennel you like for your dog, but you don't want the tax tail wagging the investment.
0: Okay, I'm going to squeeze one more CGT question in if I can, okay. uh, and I'm going to give people a chance to maybe take a picture of that slide, because I love that slide, it really captures the whole process. So right. if you sell a GIA fund, so if you've got a GIA with platform A, uh, mm-hmm. and you sell it, and then you put that money into platform B and buy exactly the same fund again, does that contravene the 30-day rule?
1: Yes, yeah, that's the other thing. If, if you if you bought the same fund on platform A and platform B, you need to share pool. Yeah, one of the CGT simplification things that was in the Office of Tax Simplification report a couple of years ago uh, were suggesting taking away all that share pooling and all that, and actually making the the asset holder tell you the gain when you when you sold it. A bit like um, a bit like chargeable events. If you sell a bond, you get your chargeable gain certificate. One of the suggestions was. Uh, when you sold your OICs, you, you got again kind of certificate from the platform provider, sort of thing. Yeah. So um, I, th- I I think that's going to come in. I, I I think this will get simplified. I think dividends, interest, and gains generated um, will eventually get fed directly to the revenue. So you'll be um, when you went to your self assessment, your your gains, your dividends, and your interest will be there already without you having to think about it. Currently, okay. it's only your salary that's there but that's the way that, that's the direction the world's moving in yeah,
0: i think there's a lot of real time tax for for businesses already and i think it
1: just yeah yeah one of the questions why, why are the revenue happy with all these new people having to go into self-assessment i think it's because that's they, they know that's the direction of travel it's eventually yeah. it'll all be done electronically yeah. uh, what it does mean is the people who are sitting in accumulation units and have never declared their dividend income are going to get shocked when that starts yeah. um yeah whoops <laughs> Whoops, yeah, and the revenue is going to go, hold on. We can't surely have had all these new people with dividends. Let's go and look back six years for some of them. Right, um, before the upstatement, when you asked me, uh, what do you need to think about when you're deciding whether to have your oikes in a bond or not? And essentially the trade-off was, there's a general acceptance, unless you've got huge portfolios you could probably be CGT-free outside the bond world, but you're going to pay corporation tax on your gains inside the bond world. And you had to accept giving up CGT-free gains to get much lower tax on your investment income. That um, was the decision in the trade-off you were making. That is the exact same post-the-autumn statement. There's no CGT advantage going inside the bond based on the rules because CGT can only ever be equal inside a bond. It can never be better. But what's happening is, outside the bond, there will be more CGT being paid. So the sort of trade-off of having to be in the bond isn't as expensive as it was before, because you aren't going to get CGT-free outside the bond world. uh, Sorry, outside wrappers, probably. And obviously, with the shrinking of the dividend allowance, you'll save more dividend tax by being inside your bond and being outside. So that trade-off's still there. It's just the trade-off isn't as bad now because dividend tax is going up and you will start paying CGT outside a wrapper. So that's why everybody's saying bonds are back, but they should never have been away in the first place.
0: Okay, I'm going to squeeze one more CGT question in because it always gets popular. Um, This has sort of been answered already, but the question was, if you sell units in an accumulation version of a fund and repurchase the same fund, but using income units, is that still a disposal for CGT? And we had a question in already, which was basically around different share classes. If I bought share class A in the fund, sold it and then bought share class B, is that still a disposal for CGT?
1: I can't remember, Richard. Oh. I made it to April last year before I got asked something I couldn't remember. So well, we shall we get the answer and we'll pop it up. We shall on the get the answer. I'm fairly sure the answer is um, yes for accumulation income changes and no for share class changes. Mm. But I'll confirm. Okay, brilliant. Thank you. I'm not saying unless I'm 100% sure and I'm only 99% sure. Exactly. That's the power, power planner code, of course. Yes. Yeah, so I, I've crunched quite a lot of numbers um, since the autumn statement, um, sort of thing. I used these four indices when I was doing my modelling. I was basically trying, is there a number where you think a bond's better than a portfolio? Sure. what does it look like for these people, that people? So I thought I need to do some modelling, play about with spreadsheets, I think. If I'd have been heady technically, I'd have been a para planner. I think. Yeah. So I used the FTSE All Share, the MSCI World, for basically to get my UK equity, my global equity. And then I used a sterling corporate uh, and then global corporate to get my UK fixed interest and my global fixed interest. Uh, And here's basically what happened Um, I I went back to the year 2000 uh, and I worked out based on the yields uh, or the income generated. What size of fund would I had to have had to generate £500 of investment income? Uh, if you look at your the equity, the left hand side, the 50 50 UK Global, 23,934 was the average fund size you could have before you'd have touched the taxes or you'd have generated more than £500 of dividends. As you can see, Uh, quite a few years are below 20. There's some that are kind of significantly above 20, but the average is 23.934. As I said before, if we were looking at trying to generate £2,000 of dividend income, that number would be four times that, that would be £92,000. Fixed interest... Yields were huge back at the turn of the century. I mean, you only needed like seven and a half grand in a fixed interest fund to generate 500 pounds of interest back at the turn of the century. There's quite a lot of sort of years in the fixed interest world where 15,000 or less would um, generate 500 pounds of income. Obviously, um, a few years ago, yields were on the floor, so you could have quite a big fixed interest portfolio before before you generated your £500. And for the 60-40, it's the same sort of scenario. Quite a lot of those years were sub- £20,000. Um, I don't think I needed to prove the point, but the point being proven was people with much smaller portfolios than before are going to go over £500 of investment income, so they are going to touch the tax system, which makes you have a tax thought, I think, sort of thing. Yeah. Right. I I, I used to show this slide in all its glory before, but it was far too scary. So I'm just going to tell you the theory of what I've done. You will then see lots of numbers. You can see the numbers later. It's the principle um, that matters. I took £100,000 and I reinvested my gross income from 2000 to 2022. This is just my FTSE all share in this. Uh, my capital return was £125,000. My total return was £275,000. And about a week before my Webex, I thought £150,000 of that total return has been generated by income. That's a massive proportion of the profit. And then I realized no, the total returns got your reinvested income in it and the capital growth on your reinvested income. So, to rapidly go back uh, and fix my spreadsheet to, to work out how much income I was <laughs> producing the period, and it was just under £80,000. So, I've got a total gain of one hundred and seventy five. pounds sorry, my profit's £175,000, uh, that sort of thing, with £80,000 of that being income so as a percentage of my profit uh, it was 45% of it was my income so you think to yourself if I'm generating 45% of my profit through investment income and my investment income might be getting taxed at 40 or 33 or 45 or 39 Am I better having that somewhere else? And the answer for a lot of people is yes. So I also did it for three different 10-year periods. The first 10 years, the middle 10 years, and the last 10 years. And I did it for all my indices. So we can put the scary slide up now, Richard. Yeah. That's all the numbers. The green circles, you only made a profit because you had income. You actually made a capital loss. Uh, The orange circles at least half your total return was generated by income. And as I go back to the point I said before, the benefit you get being in a tax wrapper is all about the income, certainly when it's an onshore bond, because you don't get any better gains treatment. It's only a much better income treatment you get. And if you've got people whose return is being generated substantially by income and the investment of income, that should be in a more benign tax place sort of thing. Good slide. like that one. Yeah. So here's audience participation time. Uh, So I went back with my indices. I I did my equity 50-50, my fixed interest 50-50, and my mixed investment 30-30, 20-20, so 60-40. I assumed a 12,300 annual exempt amount for CGT. I took 100,000 pounds. I looked at my capital return. And then I started taking £20,000 a year out of my portfolio to put in my ISA. So there was 19 periods where I invested my £100,000. I'll let you into a secret. There was none of those 19 periods where you went over a 12300 gain uh, by auto ISAing your money. I then run it again based on a £3,000 annual exempt amount. So for my equity 50-50... How many times out of the 19 um, did I trigger a capital gain by the time a dice I wrapped all my money? And the same question for fixed interest and mixed, somewhat in three numbers.
0: And that's based on the CGT allowance being £3,000 all 3, those 19 periods.
1: periods. And this, this is the pause for thought. If you've just hit a button that automatically sells down £20,000 every year, you're automatically triggering a CGT bill potentially
0: so let's start with the fifty-fifty global uk equity one pop some numbers in the chat room it's going to be between naught and 19 i'll give you a clue there um yeah. how many years do you reckon um you would have exceeded the uh the three thousand pound limit
1: i couldn't remember i've got the answer on my phone now because i've got my slides on my phone yeah <laughs> i can't see the chats so i don't know if it's okay going on. all right Oh, we're giving,
0: we're, people are quoting percentages, that's good. Give me give me a number of years. Is it 0 years, 5 years, 19 years, 15 years, Martin says. I'll give you a clue. That's a bit high. Um, oh, Anthony's mm-hmm. doing all three at once. That's good. Um, yeah. So I'm going to... Oh, some interesting ones there. Uh, I'm going to pop the answers up, Les. So um, cool. yeah.
1: yeah, For, for Yeah, for your equity one, uh, well, if you started in 2000, you'd have managed to ISA wrap it in four years and you would never have triggered again. Uh, but if you started in 2003, it would have took you seven years to ice wrap it and you would have triggered a gain in four of those seven years. The headline figures uh, if you get an equity focused fund, uh, over half, 12 times. Um, fixed interest, uh, I've come to the conclusion you don't make capital gains uh, in fixed interest funds if you hold them in the medium to long term. You, you only get gains if you're kind of targeting uh, fixed interest. That's twice. And for your 60 portfolio, nine times out of the 19. It might make you put the money in a bond, but you'll need to remember to tell your customer they will probably have a capital gains tax liability to pay at some point. And I believe COBS requires you to tell them the disadvantages of your recommendation. And I think having to start pay capital gains tax is potentially a disadvantage of a recommendation um, sort of thing. So yeah, that's the thing. Pause for thought. Um, The things you do automatically without thinking about CGT, you can't do anymore. Obviously, you get huge portfolios. You probably had to think about it before. The other thing is um, multi-oic strategies. If you've got a multi-oic strategy where you you create your investment profile with multiple holdings, if selling £20,000 can trigger a capital gain for getting your ISA done, selling £20,000 of anything to rebalance your portfolio could trigger a gain as well if you're going to run portfolios outside um outside uh outside a wrapper you're going to have to be right on top of your cgt management going forward i think might not put you in the wrapper you've got more work to do you need to tell people when they've got tax to pay and you will they will be paying tax and gains they would never have done before the autumn statement brilliant yep uh, this is kind of just reiterating a point from before. I mean, in 2021, uh, you put your hundred thousand pounds in. Um, if you were in the equity world, you were fine. You made a profit. If you were in the if you were in the, the fixed interest world, uh, you never made a profit. Um, but you did get income all those years. So the years your investment went up overall, you paid tax on your income. The year your investment went down overall, you paid tax on your income. If that tax was a higher rate, you'd have wished that income was in a lower tax position sort of thing. 2022, uh, if you were FTSE all share, uh, you might have squeezed out a wee £340 profit. Um, That's assuming you didn't need to pay any tax in the £3,500 of dividends you'd have got. And because basically all your profit uh, was because you had um, dividend that year. If you look at all the other sectors going along to the right, uh, you made a loss all the way through. That loss was with gross income reinvested, so your loss will be higher if you had to pay tax on any of that income. It's just kind of reinforcing the points. Because um, if you aren't going to have any gains, it doesn't really matter if you're inside a wrapper or outside a wrapper, because the tax on no gains... Is zero <laughs> uh, sort of thing. Brilliant.
0: I'm going to preface this next bit um, with a question. I really hope this is your real name, or it's a great kind of screen name. Cyborg asked this question: um, with a client of say three hundred thousand pounds, how much should be put towards a GIA Isofida, and how much should be put towards a bond when looking purely at tax? There's Been a few comments on that one, but I just thought I'd start this section by that because it's okay. a great way you can work
1: on this one. So yes, you can. Um, you. First of all, um, I often get asked, what's the minimum size of portfolio before you should consider a bond? And the answer is one. Yeah. Um, If you want smoothing their guarantees, you need to have a bond or a nicer pension. If you're probably going to be giving the money away to somebody else, because you know there's IHT planning in the future, lifetime gifting, it's easier to give away a bond. It's easier to run a bond inside a trust than it is an OIC portfolio you you might be going bond anyway. If you want a simple life, I know one large network, I don't know if they count as large, but there are quite a lot of advisors. Uh, They've updated their fact find to ask if you do a tax return and supplementary ask whether you mind doing a tax return. So there's that simplicity angle as well. But given the amount of CGT work you're going to have to do as an advisor, Advisor might quite like the simplicity angle of not having to think (laughs) about gains and losses and all that sort of thing um, inside the wrapper so there's a kind of two aspects to simplicity and then if you know you're going to have savings allowances on the way back out and you don't pay any tax on an offshore bond on the way through tax-free on the way through and tax-free in the way out is totally tax-free so i think that's all no-brainers that doesn't require analysis and answer the question I think by the time you get to about five years' worth of auto-ISA money, you should probably be thinking about the accumulation of tax on your investment income. Yeah, But you'll need to decide for yourselves what your number is. I think you should have a number. I think you should have had a number before the autumn statement where you think, how much investment income am I willing to generate before the tax drags detrimentally the overall net return? There should have been a number before the open statement. There should certainly be a number after the open statement sort of thing. But we do have a tax wrapper comparison tool that will allow you to crunch some numbers. Um, I, I gerrymandered this one to make bonds look good. Um, it is actually, it has a slight bias in it, um, and it makes collectives look better than they actually are. A hand on heart, that's the only bias, I think, in it. People were saying, surely you've built it to be as biased towards bonds. No, I haven't. Every single tool my team build has to pass the test. If you were a paraplanner or an advisor going about your daily work, would you use this tool to make your life easier? And if any of the team says no, the tool doesn't get launched because it's not met. Our requirements, which is helping people do tax easier in a way that's not misleading. So it basically assumes your OICs stay invested 100% of the time, but because it actually sells down enough to use your annual exempt amount every year, in practice, you would need to be out the market for a month. So the OICs are slightly overstated. Everything else um, is as per. Basically, what happens is you put your money in. I've got 200,000 in here at, at 10 years. Um, for the term, um, if you go over to the right-hand side at the top, nope. Sorry, sorry I'm sorry. I'll get too excited there. That way, uh, yeah. Uh, I put four percent dividend return and four percent capital gain in. I think broadly half your returns probably going to be dividends if you're in an equity like anyway. It shows you that ten percent internal tax rate. We mean, talk uh, talk for about your journey and your exit. The left-hand side table tells you the tax on your journey, um, so it shows you for your collectives, uh, that's too b for me, it's £109,000 of dividends received, you'd have paid £31,000 of tax on that, and had you been doing your CGT work correctly and using your annual exempt amount every year, you would manage to have got is that £33,000 of um, annual exempt amount used. It tells you what's happening inside the bonds, um, obviously. And you might see, oh, well, the onshore bond tax is lower than the tax on the collectives. Bond works. But remember, we haven't got the money back out of the bond yet. So if we move to the right-hand side, uh, there's two sorts of tables. One of them is the encashment values. So it gives give you your surrender value sort of thing, your slice, the tax payable if you fully cash it in on year 10, and then the net return. Uh, usually, are all para planners. so usually I'll be attracted to the gross return and the tax figure and trying to say to yourself, well, what could we do to make sure that tax doesn't need to be paid? Other people get attracted to the net return figure and saying, oh, that means that one's best. It doesn't. It takes you 80% of the way, I think. It'll give you your gross return, your tax and your net return. And then you have to start thinking like a planner. But they say they're going to give this money away, so it's actually going to go to a non-taxpayer, and the gain's a hundred thousand pounds. A non-taxpayer could take that out over six years using their savings allowances, that sort of thing. So it kind of gets you 80% of the way there. It gives you your, your 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 gross number, your net number, and your tax, and then and then you work it out from there. In the middle, uh, you put your savings income. This is a sixty. This is a higher rate taxpayer during their investment journey. So that's 60,000 there and a basic rate taxpayer when they cash in. Uh, and as you can see, uh, even with a, a, a wrapper charge for the cost of your bond wrapper, uh, I think the, the onshore bond wins by a fair amount, does it? Yep. I see. Yeah, yeah. Higher rate taxpayers who are basic rate taxpayers shouldn't currently be in a GIA, but they are, and there's lots of them. And even after the open statement, there's even less reason to not being a bond wrapper, that has always been the sweet spot because you're paying too much tax on your investment income and you're better paying corporation tax on your gains in a bond and having a really benign treatment of your investment income sort of thing. If you put in basic rate and basic rate, you maybe get to the point where you see that there isn't much of a difference um, sort of thing and then you can say, well, I might be suboptimal tax-wise by putting my portfolio in a bond, but I don't need to do a tax return every year. I don't need to worry about my CGT management and all that—that that, that sort of thing. So it'll just crunch out your numbers. It does it does ten. If you're familiar with the tax relief modeller, there's basically ten iterations of the tax relief modeller in behind here. Um, I'm surprised it opens so quickly actually, because uh, it's quite big. The so it basically rolls everything forward a year, does a proper tax sum rolls it forward a year, does a proper tax return, and it keeps rolling it forward, doing a proper tax tax sum. And then in the year of encashment, it also does your encashment of your bonds, doing your top slicing, taking away your personal allowance if required and all that sort of thing. So it basically just keeps doing these tax iterations. The, the ones I've seen in the past, they've said um, where you're a basic or a higher rate taxpayer or a non-taxpayer, they would show you a million pounds gain, and if you said you were a non-taxpayer on exit, it would say no tax, yeah. which is clearly nonsense. So, so we thought it was, given the increased interest in bonds, we thought we'd build something that's um, a bit more accurate sort of thing. I think it's better to say, well, if you cashed it all in with a £20,000 salary, this is what it looked like, and then you can work your tax down by cashing over tax years and all that, and instead of giving out some nonsense. So that bottom right place there, that's basically how much allowances and tax bands you've got available prior to the encashment um, of the portfolios. I think that's a really useful tool. There's a summary page. Yay. <laughs> um, it, it basically just shows you the, the numbers we've been using for, for all 10 years, uh, the amount of new dividends, the amount of new savings, The client income at the top and the bottom two are your bond numbers. I'll just show you the slice of the year and what your gains are sort of thing. Basically, the CGT impact of the autumn statement is covered in this collectives column. Um, You started with £200,000. You had 3% capital gain, giving you £206,000. You've got a £6,000 annual exempt amount this year. If you were so in the first year, if you want to use that £6,000 annual exempt amount, you have to sell your whole portfolio to trigger the £6,000 of profit because it's your whole portfolio that has the £6,000 of profit on it. That allows you to use your annual exempt amount um, sort of thing. Sorry, I've got a... sorry 4% went to £208,000, yeah? So you've got £208,000 uh, top number, I should have done three in my previous story would have been right. Uh, so you've got £8,000 gain, um, you've only got £6,000 annual exempt amount. So if you want to use your £6,000, you need to surrender £156,000 of your portfolio to trigger a £6,000 gain. Well, what happens then is the portfolio that's left behind has got a £2,000 gain still sitting on it. Then you reinvest your net income to give your closing value. And then we move on. What's the CGT impact? Is that um, the amount of portfolio you can sell going through the years to use your annual exempt amount is going to fall. Yeah. If you if you look through the, the surrender to realize the gains up to the annual exempt amount row, it's fallen, it's going down. And when that number goes below 20, That's where those auto ISA numbers came from. You will get to a point where you're taking £20,000 because there's so much gain in the portfolio. It's going to trigger your gain. So the the realisation amount to use your annual exempt amount is going to fall. And by definition, if you're selling less and less to trigger your annual exempt amount, the amount of gain you've got stuck in your portfolio is going to go bigger and bigger and bigger. And that's what I was saying right back at the beginning. You don't get a CGT advantage inside the bond, but CGT is getting worse outside the bond. So the trade-off from being in the bond isn't as bad as it was before. But go back to the beginning. It's all about the income. Would you rather have your dividends rolling up with no tax and then coming out tax-free? The only answer in tax terms after the autumn statement is there must be more GIAs wrapped. That is what the tax world is telling me. If you aren't doing more wrapped stuff, I suspect you will be giving people lower net returns than is required. um, sort of thing.
0: Brilliant, thank you, Les. Um, we've gone slightly past two o'clock on the road because we started slightly late, but uh, that was absolutely brilliant. We had quite a few other questions which we'll probably pick up another time around things such as, is the internal tax rate in a bond different between providers on versus offshore? allocating certain asset classes to different tax wrappers um, what about rebalancing beggar ISIS? Mm-hmm. and nices and all about discretionary investment managers so lots of more stuff we could talk about there so we'll see if we can find some time to cover those as well but that's pretty much it we're going to pop a link in the chat room now which will take you mm-hmm. off to the energy wealth website where you can get copies of the slides there's some real crackers in there a link to les's tax wrapper comparison tool which is really good and links to other resources and videos and articles and all those kind of things so um Knock yourselves out with that one. Um, don't forget, we've got two events coming up, one next week uh, on exam prep and our power up. So power planners, they're available on our website. Thanks once again to Les for sharing your uh, infinite knowledge there uh, and to Emergy well for supporting the power planners assembly. Don't forget you can keep chatting on the Big Tent. Thank you for persevering with us today when we jumped from Crowdcast over to here. Um, we got there in the end, uh, which is the good news. Um, so from Les and I, uh, we'll say if, if you, you
1: put your questions in the Big Tent, I'll go in and answer them if you put them in the take.
0: Excellent. Um, thank you very much, Les. And we will see you all again very soon. Goodbye.